Welcome to this week's episode of the Hammer Time Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Hammer, and every single week we talk about sports, society, and other stuff. And we are on a streak right now. We have been on the air for four weeks in a row, and I am I could not be prouder, you know, showing that determination as week one of the football season is over, and you know, we've been dancing around it for a while, but now we're back into our wheelhouse with football, and we'll talk about other sports too, you know, we got some baseball coming up, basketball season is around the corner, and I'm always open to talking about all sports, but football has a special place in my heart, and also in the heart of our guest. Before I introduce him, of course, you can find us on iTunes, please subscribe, share with your friends if you like it, uh, feel free to tweet some feedback at me. That's normally how you can get in contact with me at Ethan Ham. I'm happy to hear it. I am really hoping to continue to do this. It's been almost a year, which is crazy. I I really love doing this, and I want to make this as good as possible. I know sometimes we jump around from topic to topic a lot, but I think there's a lot of topics to cover. Um, but I'm always open to feedback, so let me know if you have any. But Every time I do this podcast, other than one time when I thought the site was dead, I always mention another site called Playmaker Mentality, where my podcast is hosted. And I have with me, as my guest on this show, the person who started that site, Derek Klassen. Derek, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, yeah. um, I'm here to talk about sports, society, and other stuff. Yeah, and Playmaker (laughs) Mentality, still alive. Still... there's like... It's like, uh, you remember when... I think it was the beginning, or it was during the national championship of college football. I think this past year, uh, NCAA like tweeted out, or the NC- EA's NCAA page tweeted out like a heartbeat, and everyone was like, "Oh, NCAA is coming back." That was, I guess, kind of what uh, Skull's article about Frank Ocean sort of was for playmaker mentality. Yeah, it was the it was the one little heartbeat of maybe <laughs> this site's coming back, but yeah. it doesn't matter because you're doing some. Really cool stuff. Also, why don't you tell everyone what you're doing right now? Yeah, so the big thing is, uh, you know, everyone knows Bleach Reports, you know, past couple of years been doing the NFL 1000 thing, and this year they looked to expand it, and they got a lot more people, brought a ton more people in than they had before, and I'm lucky enough to be one of those people. Uh, they have me grading 4-3 outside linebackers, which can be a little murky because you got a couple of schemes like New England, and uh, even Oakland is getting, like, really multiple, so... And even New Orleans a little bit. like so, so there's a few teams that make it murky as to which guys I'm actually grading each week. But, I mean, it's been a blast so far just in the first couple of installments. So I have your rankings in front of me, your preliminary rankings, as it were. And there are definitely some interesting ones. So why don't you give us a quick rundown of your top 
4-3 outside linebacker, who is Anthony Barr of Minnesota. What set him apart for you? Barr is, okay, well, so the way that the grading works is it sort of favors guys who are really good in coverage and can also pass rush because a lot of the guys get, like, you know, the pass rush grade is out of 15, so a lot of guys just end up getting, like, 7, 8, or 9, which is fine, but, you know, they don't rush all that much and they don't blitz all that much, and if they're not that good at it, it's whatever. But Barr, I get 14 out of 15 there because he, and I think even PFF kind of co-signed to this, Barr is the best blitzing outside linebacker in the league. Like, he is a rocket when he, he sent, like, you know, A-gaps, um, B-gaps, like, twists. Like, you ask him to do anything to get to the quarterback, and he flashes some of the stuff that he was doing at UCLA when he was actually an outside linebacker and largely a pass rusher. Uh, and then he's just also really, really good in coverage. It didn't show up a lot in the stat sheet. I think he only had one interception, um, whereas, you know, Keekley probably also got a 23, 24, 25, or something like that out of um, out of his coverage grade when he, you know, I think he had four or five interceptions. Um, but Barr is just, he locks pretty much everyone down that comes into his area. He's really fluid going in and out of zones, and he's just athletic enough to run with just about anyone in the league. And then as a run defender, he's just really solid. Um, Eric Kendricks, their middle linebacker, does a really good job of forcing plays um, to Barr or allowing Barr to make plays and kind of be the gambler on the defense. And, you know, even though Barr has this gambling mentality, he isn't wrong, like, most of the time. He, he knows what he's doing most of the time, and he's going to make plays in the backfield. And he's a strong tackler when he gets there. So, I mean, he's just overall – just an absolutely talented player. I can't disagree with you. I don't know if I'd have him number one, and we're going to run down your top five right now and just get some thoughts on what where you had them positioned and why you had them ranked where you had them ranked. So your number one is Anthony Barr. Your number two is Thomas Davis from Carolina, and honestly, Thomas Davis is just – what he does on a regular basis is just crazy. Uh, he really is – the heart of that defense. I think Keekley, of course, is phenomenal, but Davis Davis has to try harder because he's been so limited by injuries over the years, and the way he plays is just fantastic. Uh, your number three is Dante Hightower, and your number four is Jamie Collins, both of the Patriots. And I'm going to ask you, why did you place Hightower over Collins? Uh, well, okay, okay. The Collins gets a lot more attention than Hightower does, and that's certainly warranted. I think that there's plenty of reason for that. You know, Collins is a little bit younger. Uh, I think he's more athletic, and he, he makes more flashy plays. But Hightower is, you know, he's the cog that makes this New England system work. He's an inc- Hightower is an incredible one, uh, run defender. I believe it was at uh, Smiley Moth on Twitter that said something like, um, you know, Hightower is like a boulder in a stream. He's going to hit a guard, center, tackle, whatever, and he's going to force plays back to guys like Collins and stuff like that. He's just, he's the ultimate facilitator for a defense. And, um, you know, on top of that, he also makes some plays in his own right. And even though he's not, you know, the flashy mover runner that Collins is, say, in space, uh, especially in coverage, Hightower does a really good job of getting, like, you know, good depth on his zone drops and uh, making sure he's picking up assignments really well. He, he very quietly is a really good coverage defender. And uh, Hightower can actually be used as, like, a down rusher. Like, you can put him 
at like six tech or seven tech as like a normal defensive end or something and let him rush the passer. Or you can just blitz him. I mean, there's just so much that you can do with Hightower. Um, and he does it all at just an incredibly high level that it was it was hard for me to not rank him that high. And I get why people would, you know, put Collins a little bit higher because he does get a little bit more of the, you know, the flashy plays and highlight plays. But Hightower is just one of the most consistently great players in the league. I think that's fair. I also think that in my mind, as someone who probably watches more Patriot snaps than most, I would have put Collins at middle linebacker. I I don't think he's really a 4-3 outside linebacker. I think Hightower does play that role really well, and I would probably have him ranked around where you're ranked. But to me, Collins is a little bit more impactful from the blitzing standpoint. His A-gap blitzes are just... Every time it happens, you see these centers get either completely destroyed or these quarterbacks just running for their lives. It's one of the best plays in football to watch. And they've been running it with Hightower, too. I believe they ran one with Hightower in the Cardinals game, actually. So I I think that's going to be really interesting to see how that evolves over the course of the season because, in my mind, Collins, I can't disagree too much with your scores. His weaknesses are he's not the best tackler. He doesn't wrap up all the time, and that is a problem with him. He missed a tackle. That helped to spring a fairly long run in the Cardinals game, which was noticeable. And I think he's actually a little bit overrated in coverage. He's pretty good. Like, for a guy his size, he's very good in coverage. But there's a perception that he can cover anybody, and there are cases where that's been proven not to be true. I think part of it is he sacrificed a little bit of that mobility to get stronger uh, so he could handle run defense more, which is which he should do. That's totally his prerogative, and it's probably going to make sure that he has a, a longer lasting career in the league. But... Yeah, I think that those are the two places where he's only slightly lacking. But overall, I mean, he's still fantastic. But I would probably put him in the middle rather than the outside. Now, That's actually interesting that you said that because I think Collins is actually getting moved to inside linebacker on the rankings because I just took him as uh, an outside linebacker because, like, on our lads and stuff and a lot of the depth charts, uh, Collins is listed as an outside linebacker. So I just, you know, we 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 only had, like, two weeks to put together the preseason stuff. So it was just like... It was a little bit more rushed than it should have been, so I just kind of took Collins as as a linebacker in my position, but I'm pretty sure he's getting moved to inside this week, which is a little more fitting, because I was even just watching, yeah, the Arizona game, and Collins is pretty much, like, in between the guards on most plays. Yeah, definitely. Now, your number five is someone who I would not have put at number five, and you put Sean Lee there from Dallas, and I just want to hear, why did you put Sean Lee so high on your list? He... Uh, originally, I like when I was first watching Sean Lee. I didn't like Sean Lee. Is just the way that he plays is really weird because he's sort of like he's almost playing a middle linebacker role from the weak side spot. Like he's the guy who's going to make all the cleanup plays. He's the guy who's facilitating a lot of stuff. Um, he's not really the gap shooter that like most weak side linebackers are. He just he's. Like, I, I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of like when people are saying, oh, well, he's a safety in a linebacker's body or a strong safety in a free safety's body. It's kind of that sort of thing with Lee. So watching him just sort of feels weird sometimes. Um, and he's kind of lost a little bit of his athleticism. So I could see why you would want to drop him a little bit. 
but I still think he's one of the most fundamentally sound players. I think he still does a really good job of facilitating um, to other players on that defense. The problem is that there just aren't a lot of other players on that defense. Yeah, it's a bit of a rough situation. The guy I would have put there is the player you have at number eight, Vontae David from Tampa. And there was a play he made this week, I don't know if you saw it, where he diagonally ran and tackled the Atlanta running back in the backfield. He knifed through the entire offensive line. It's just, he is so, so good at that penetration. And maybe it's something that I'm just valuing a little bit more than others, but I was surprised that he wasn't quite as high for you as I thought he would be. So why did you put him at eight? Uh, Like, Levante David at his best would be higher. I think there were just certain points last year where he just wasn't himself. He was a little bit weaker than I had expected him to be. I mean, not that he's ever really been a guy who's going to shed all these blocks, but he just got really entirely washed out sometimes. Um, So, like, if he couldn't have those moments where he was knifing through the line, he was just kind of getting blown off the ball. Um, And then he just – there were certain games where he just looked slower than Levante David normally did, and he wasn't making quite as many, you know, knife-through type of plays as I had expected from him. And uh, he was a little more lost in coverage than I thought he was going to be. And, um, I, I mean, it's it's tough to say what all that was because I know, you know, we've seen Levante David be one of the top, you know, four or five uh, linebackers in the league. And, you know, there was even a point where people weren't sure if uh, Luke Keekley was better than Levante David. So I get why, like, having David at eight, which is still, like, fairly high, but I get having him under guys like maybe Malcolm Smith or Sean Lee could be weird. I just think... Last year was a little bit of a weird year for him, but if he shot up to, like, four this year, it wouldn't shock me at all. And I want to talk about some of these other players that you have ranked and just some funny things that I'm remembering. So, number 11, you have Shaq Thompson from Carolina. I remember a lot of people thought that he was a bust after his Combine 40 when he ran 4-7. Dude. (laughs) There are some bad Shaq Thompson takes out there, and I... I was always a Shaq Thompson believer because the Patriots really liked Shaq Thompson, so that that was something that I I had a good feeling about Shaq Thompson. But there are some bad Shaq Thompson takes out there, and I I just don't get what they were seeing. Yeah, I don't know. I always loved Shaq Thompson because I, I get at Washington there were moments where it's like, oh, he was you know maybe a step behind the play. Or, you know, because he was looking at something he shouldn't have been, or all those sorts of things. But then you get Jalen Smith this year, and everyone loves Jalen Smith. I don't think they were all that different of players. I think Smith was stronger and a little bit bigger. But just in terms of, like, how their instincts worked and how they moved uh, in coverage and, like, how well they tackled, I think they were very similar. And um, Shaq just got this weird, oh, well, he can't, he, he's not going to be able to play between the tackles because he's not strong enough. Like, well, he's at least as strong as, like, Levante David. He's not any weaker than, you know, some of these other uh, linebackers have been. So, I don't know. I was always a Shaq Thompson guy. Um, You know, coming out of college, I really liked him. I think I had him as, like, a top 15 or so player in that class. And then I thought he had a pretty good rookie year, Uh, even though, I mean, he was playing second fiddle to Keekly and uh, Davis. So he was only getting in on mostly um, base snaps and then early in the year when uh, Keekley was out, so he was playing in the nickel a little bit. But when he was on the field, he he was really good. The Panthers just have a ridiculous amount of linebacker talent. 
they've always had really good linebackers. They, and they always find guys who are random and they make them really good too. I remember back in the day they had like James Anderson before he came over to the Patriots and he ended up being just this really random, really good linebacker who was drafted in like the fifth round and he, I don't even remember if he made a Pro Bowl, but he came really close to making a Pro Bowl. Just weird. So the last player I want to talk about on your list is the guy you have at number 17, Miles Jack. Miles Jack didn't play a single defensive snap last week against the Packers. What do you think it. about this? I don't know. Bradley's not a good coach. Like, Gus Bradley's just not a good coach. Because I guess the thing was, oh, well, they're trying to teach him uh, the Mike position and the Will position. Look, he's clearly better than Paul Pusluzny. I'm going to botch his name. Pusluzny? I don't know. He's a lot better than that guy. So teach him to play that inside linebacker position and get Jack on the field because he's going to make more plays than that, uh, than Paz. And he's going to be better in coverage. And, like, you're going to get more out of him because Paz isn't really a playmaker. And... I think he's kind of overrated in terms of like, oh, he's the facilitator on that defense. Not really. He kind of gets blown off the ball more than he should. And if that's your problem with Jack, I mean, you're not going to get it at any higher rate than you were getting it with Paws. Like, there's, I just don't see the value in having him on the field over Jack. And I, I was a really big Jack guy in college, if you couldn't tell. Yeah, we'll see what happens with all of them and that situation. I agree with you. I think that Jack needs to play in the middle because – he can't play Will anyway because friggin' Telvin's there. So yeah. it, it's one of the situations where, yeah, just put him in the middle and let him cook. And also, he needs to change his number. Him and there's one other number. Oh, Vic Beasley. Vic Beasley, Miles Jack need to change their friggin' numbers. 40. Any, yes. Any linebacker defensive lineman or a linebacker with a number in the 40s needs to change their number immediately. Get. Yes, just do absolutely. it. It's I think a bad like number. Justice, I think Justice tweeted in the preseason. He was like, "If you see a highlight and a skill player makes a play on a linebacker with a number in the forties, the play didn't count. It's a, it, you can't use it as as evidence for anything." Yeah, yeah. We we got we gotta just nip that in the bud. Are there any other linebackers on your list who either you feel like are a little bit overrated or you feel like are a little bit underrated? I really want to talk about Bruce Irvin. Bruce Irvin is really, really good. Like, he, in Seattle, they were, I think, early in Bruce Irvin's career, Seattle really wanted him to be a pass rusher, and everyone expected him to be a pass rusher. And he was fine at just being that, but he is so much more than that. And even his last year in Seattle, and already week one uh, as an Oakland Raider, He's shown that he can just do so much more. He's actually a decent coverage player. I don't know that you want to, like, you know, give him an assignment over the middle of the field and ask him to flow a ton. But if you want him to cover the flats and, like, carry guys up the sideline and that sort of thing, he can do a really good job at that. Uh, He's an excellent strong side run defender. Like, uh, you know, when players come over and pull on, like, wham plays or something like that, he has no problem just sticking it to him and holding his ground. Um, he, he's just a really underrated run defender. And I think it's because, you know, kind of like I said, everyone really wanted him to be this elite pass rusher. And when he wasn't that, people were just like, oh, he's not as good as we wanted him to be. But the reality is that he is. It's just that he's not – he's he's as good as people wanted him to be, just not at what they wanted him to be good at. And he's still a good pass rusher. It's just that he's not a guy that you want to – 
have rushing the passer for every snap of a game. Yeah, I wonder if that's what Mingo's going to end up being in New England. Because I, I think so. I think that they're going to be going to rotate him in a lot more next week. He didn't play that much this week. But as the weeks go on, they're going to start rotating him in more. And he looked amazing in the preseason. Uh, in the one game he got action in. I think he's somebody who uh, could definitely step up and make that transition to sort of the Bruce Irvin role opposite Dante Hightower or whoever else you have on that defense. The one other linebacker I want to call out, because I watched a lot of his game this week, and he was absolutely fantastic, is Jonathan Casillas on the Giants. He had a great, great game against the Cowboys. He always played really well for the Patriots, too, and he's someone who really made some money because of how he played with the Patriots. And he just does everything pretty well. He's good in coverage. He's pretty good against the run. He's versatile, and he really did a great job against the Cowboys. He's someone who I think when you take a look at this week, you'll be pretty impressed. So Yeah, I already watched him this week, and he was really good. I had him low on the you know the initial thing because he was playing hurt for a yeah. lot of last year. I mean, he didn't even play. I think he only played like half of last year, and when he was, he wasn't a you know, fully healthy, so I think he was having some problems there, because uh, I don't think he's all that athletic, he just kind of, you know, he he bases his game on, you know, understanding that he can be in certain places and, and get a step ahead, because he's processing things, um, so when he didn't have the athleticism to even maximize that, he really, really struggled, and also, I think the Giants front is a lot better this year, and that helped him maximize uh, his skill set, because Jason Pierre-Paul is back. He looked really good. They have Vernon now. Uh, I believe Damon Harrison. Uh, like they, Their front just looks a lot better, so it's a little bit easier for him to be comfortable uh, and not have to worry um, as much about being the only guy that's really going to make plays on that front seven. Um, but, you know, yeah, like you say, he looked really good this week, I think. I want to say I had him as a top 10 or so uh, linebacker for this week. Yeah, that line is scary in New York. You got Pierre, Paul, Vernon, Hankins, and Harrison. Uh, those guys can eat. That's a really good defensive line. The Giants definitely uh, made a statement with their win over the Cowboys. And then this week, they're playing. Uh, I don't even remember who they're playing. It's someone bad, someone really, really bad. And I was like, the Giants are going to go two and zero, and all of a sudden, it's going to start all over again. I have to look it up. I think what's interesting about the Giants is, okay, we all thought their defense was going to be bad, or at least just, you know, that was going to be the weaker part of the team. Um, but, yeah, their front looked really good. I don't think that's going to be an issue unless they have just are just ridden with injuries. Uh, Casillas is probably their only good linebacker. Devin Kennard is okay. I actually like Kennard. Yeah, the only problem with Kennard is I think you can only really play him as, like, a strong side backer in base. Uh, Other than that, I don't think he serves much functionality, but he's good when he's on the field doing that. Um, But the way their front is set up, so they're going to be able to get pressure, right? I mean, they have have two good edge guys, and then Casillas is a decent coverage linebacker, so he can kind of hold down the floor with underneath stuff to prevent quarterbacks from checking down, or at least there wouldn't be as much reward in doing so. And at corners, they have, I believe, DRC and Janoris Jenkins. Those are two guys that, yeah, they're going to get burned and make some atrocious plays, but they're also going to gamble and come up with some uh, turnovers. I think with a front that allows them to do that, that could be really, really interesting. I think the issue with that is DRC is uh, he's washed. 
That's a fair point. And a lot of people are probably going to say that about Jenkins as well. Uh, I don't know if Jenkins is washed. But by the way, they're actually in the Saints, so that might be a fun... That might be a high-scoring game. That could be a lot of fun, especially when you got guys gambling all over the place. So that brings me to this week. I want to talk about this week. Um, I red-zoned hardcore, which was great. It was nice to have football back. I think this was one of the best week ones I could ever remember. So many amazing games. So many fun performances. You know, week one... four games decided between one point, and then there were, like, another two that were, like, two or three. Like, there were just so many close games. Yeah, it was an amazing week. So, overall, week one can sometimes be a little bit deceiving. Uh, Some things don't always carry over. I remember last year, I think it was, the Texans... I mean, no, the Titans destroyed the Bucks, and then we know what happened afterwards. But there are also some things that I think you you know them when you see them. So, from the games you watched this week, what are a few takes that you came away with? And just general, you can do as many or as few as you want, and more will probably come to us as we're talking. But what were some takes that you began to think about? In terms of, you know, saying you know them when you see them, and it's not really deceiving, Luck is back, and he is really, really good. Like, he... There were a, there were a lot of people who like to question luck and between the injury and and some other stuff I guess it makes sense um, but I've always been a really big luck guy and he came back this week and he just went unconscious against the Lions they still didn't win because that defense dug them into like a 21 point hole pretty much immediately in that game but luck just had I mean he had at least five or six passes that were just him and maybe, like, three other guys can make those throws. And, I mean, he has one where he puts it 45 yards, I think, down the seam, and I don't even think that was a top three throw for him that game. He was just absolutely incredible. So it was really nice to see Luck back because I've always been a big a big fan of his. Um, I think Oakland... I want to talk about the Oakland defense a little bit because their front is really good. You know, I talked about... Irvin and obviously Mac, uh, their defensive tackle position could get a little bit better. I think their secondary, as bad as it was, I think part of the problem is just there's going to be a lot of gelling because Sean Smith is new there, Reggie Nelson is new there, um, you know, Joseph is going to be interesting to see how he comes along and stuff. Like, there's just going to be a lot of gelling on that back, uh, you know, in that back four. So it's going to be interesting to see if they can improve and how well that they improve because I think as bad as they were last week, there's going to be a little bit better moments than that throughout the season. Um, and that might be enough for that defense to be really interesting, especially with those two edge guys. Um, let's see. Jameis Winston was also very good. Granted, the Falcons' pass rush is terrible. And Jameis Winston did have a couple of bad throws early on. Like, I think he overthrew a touchdown or two in, like, the first quarter. But after that, he was kind of like Luck, where he just went unconscious and made a couple of incredible throws. One to uh, and Jenkins and another to Evans that were just deep, really ridiculous uh, touchdowns with touch throws. Like, um, So it, it was awesome to see Jameis back in the mix. On that same quarterback class, Marcus Mariota didn't look that great against Minnesota. He took some sacks that he probably shouldn't have. Like, uh, I know I gift one play that I don't think I tweeted out, but 
he has a lot of room in the pocket to his left, and he just moves to his right into defenders, and that was kind of a problem. And then he missed some easy reads that he really shouldn't have. And um, granted, Minnesota is like a top three defense, but it just didn't look like an inspiring day for Mariota. And I kind of blame Malarkey because he had that one miserable like trick play. Did you see that one on like fourth and one or whatever that they tried to do to Henry? Yeah, that was dumb. I don't know what that was. That was just incredibly stupid. It was like a, it was like a fake QB sneak, and then to a toss. I don't know. That play was dumb. And then they tried to run like speed option after. So the game planning was miserable. I admit, but Mariota just didn't look very good. Um, that was mostly quarterbacks, but I mean that that's that's all my big takes for the week. I think. Off yeah. The top of my head. I know. I have some quarterback takes, and I'll start with Mariota. And I think that this might be one take where it's a little bit deceiving because, as you said, Minnesota's defense is really, really good. And, I mean, the interception that he threw was really bad, uh, the the pick six. To be fair, though, he was getting rushed pretty hard. So I, I think that that's the kind of play where maybe you ideally would like for him to fall on the ball or take a sack. But at the same time, that was just a really rough play for him. And I think over time, because a lot of these receivers are new, Tajay Sharp is still gelling, um, Rashard Matthews is still gelling, and I actually kind of like, even though people were joking about the, uh, the what's your exotic smash mouth or whatever, is that what they call their offense? People yeah. were joking about it a little bit, but I think it'd be kind of fun. I like, I like DeMarco Murray as a pass receiving back. I think that's it's a good actually- idea. Yeah, like, the way that the offense is structured is really cool and interesting, and I like it. It's just that some of the play calling is just kind of atrocious. Also, Taylor Luan had a bad game. Uh, he, he he started off well his rookie year, and I just don't know what happened after that. Yeah, he, he did not look good when I was watching, but I'm hoping that they make it better because I do like Mariota. I hope he doesn't get screwed over by a bad um, coach. I saw a lot of Ryan Tannehill comparisons thrown out about him today. And honestly, I I understand where people are coming from, but I'm going to give him a few more weeks. I will give him a few more weeks to prove that comparison wrong, but y- you do hope that he can take a step in the right direction. Um, another young quarterback who had a very good day, Carson Wentz, against the Browns. I know even many of his detractors were cheering him on. I watched a pretty good portion of that game, I want to see him against a real pass rush because his biggest issue in everything I saw, including at the Senior Bowl, where he, let me tell you, in a non-contact snap at the Senior Bowl, he fumbled on two pass rushes just because pass rushes were in the same area as him. Uh, I still don't trust him in a crowded pocket, and that Browns defense is horrible. It, it, it's just so bad. That pass rush is awful. Um, even though Carl Nassib had a decent game, which Justice won't be too happy about, but that pass rush is just not good. And I'm intrigued to see how he deals with the Bears next week, uh, who aren't much better, but I think at least they can provide a little bit more of a challenge on the Browns. Uh, but... I mean, overall, like, it was a good first game for him. He's a rookie. He did what you want a rookie to do. He threw some beautiful passes. Jordan Matthews looked really good. But we'll, we'll see what happens with Carson Wentz when he has to face tougher defenses. On the other side of the coin, i got to talk about my guy Jimmy Garoppolo. 
He had a really good game. Yeah, he like, diced up that, that, that Cardinals defense pretty well. I was impressed, actually, because I'd watched his preseason like, not a that week good. or two ago, and I was like, eh, he, I can see how the Patriots will win because they're the Patriots, but it's not going to be because of Garoppolo. And then he came out and he had a pretty good game and was really decisive, throwing accurately underneath. Uh, he, yeah, he just looked really good. I was impressed. Well, like, the thing in the preseason is that he barely played with the first-string offensive line. Now, granted, this offensive line in the game against the Cardinals was missing Nate Solder. Fulmer's out for the year, and it wasn't necessarily their first-string offensive line either, but they did a really good job of getting the ball out quick, of sticking to their game plan, and Garoppolo executed really well, and even when he had to improvise, he did a great job. Uh, The touchdown to Chris Hogan, the 40-yard pass, that was a call at the line of scrimmage by Garoppolo. Where he saw the defense, he made the call pre-snap, and when you win pre-snap, I mean that's how that separates the good quarterbacks from the great quarterbacks, the ones that can consistently win pre-snap. And he saw the single coverage on the former running back, who for some reason is starting at cornerback for Arizona. They should probably fix that. Um, <laughs> I was just about to say he did a really good job of understanding to just pick on Brandon Williams all night. Yeah, and. He also never played with Edelman in the preseason, and now he got to play with him, and that went really well because Edelman had a really, really good game when he was in. Um, But the play of the night that everyone's going to be talking about, and this was a play that Garoppolo does not make three years ago, and I, I did not expect him to make it. And one thing that's very underrated by him, um, he converted like five third and longs in this game. Like, 3rd and 10, 3rd and 11, 3rd and 9. But it was that 34-yard pass to Amendola where he's rolling yes. out and he steps up in the pocket. He's about to get hit from behind and he just throws a strike to Danny Amendola between three defenders. That is that is a throw that I don't think half the quarterbacks in the league could make. That is an elite-level throw. And the thing with Garoppolo is we knew, always knew he had the tools he, we always knew he had a really quick release. He has a quick release than Brady. But we didn't know if he had the poise to do something more than execute within a very simple mainframe. And this was an example of, if I'm the Browns and I see that, I am, I'm trading for him. Like, period. This guy has so much potential. And we'll see if he ends up getting moved. I think the Patriots end up moving him for a first. I mean, it's... They're bound to get a big return out of him for sure. I think I'm I'm with you on that one throw. I mean, he was pretty good all night. You know, like I said, he was doing really good underneath and knew to pick on Williams and stuff. But that one throw, when he moved, I thought it was over. I was like, there's there's no way Garoppolo outside of the pocket or whatever on this third down. He's going to make that sort of throw. And then he just nails it. And I I had this moment of like, oh, he might be good. Like he might be, he might be fine, and someone's gonna, like, really give up something to go get him. I mean, you look at what the Vikings gave up to get Sam Bradford. It's yeah, it's my, yeah, it's I, pretty mind-boggling. Say, yeah, I mean, obviously the concern is like what Patriots quarterback has left and actually been good, but I don't know because that wasn't a system throw. That was like he trusted himself to split defenders. He had the release to get the ball quick. He had the velocity. That was just straight up a good throw. And people forget this, but Matt Castle led a team to the playoffs. And it wasn't the Patriots. It was the Chiefs. 
<laughs> was that during the Todd Haley years? I, I believe it was. I believe it was. I might give a little bit of credit there then. <laughs> so, yeah, no, but I I agree. I think if Brady wasn't so stubborn, because Brady is definitely stubborn, I mean, they should just hold on to Jimmy and he should be the next one. He should be the Aaron Rodgers to Brady's Favre. But I think that there's a loyalty to Brady, and I think that if Brady was ever let go, it would be the opposite of an Aaron Rodgers situation because most Patriots fans that I know of prefer Brady over Belichick, They and they don't like Robert Kraft either because he gave up the fight against losing the draft pick when Brady originally got suspended. They would turn on the team. So I can't see a scenario where they let Brady go and it, Brady isn't the one dictating his terms. But in the meantime, it is fun to watch uh, Jimmy Garoppolo succeed. That's kind of a good point because what if Garoppolo wins three or four of these games and then has to sit for the rest of this year and then he's going to want to sit the rest of next year? Like, no. I don't know. Like I, If I went out and won three or four games like that, I sure as hell wouldn't want to be sitting behind someone. And I don't think, like, I think the quarterback controversy is overplayed because Tom Brady's a Hall of Famer. He's not losing his job. Oh, but, yeah. but at the same time, like, it, it, if I'm Jimmy Garoppolo, I agree with you. It isn't fair to him. He's somebody who, if he proves himself, and he's on a rookie contract right now, he's at the very least, he's going to want to get paid. And someone is going to pay him. And if you're the Patriots, you want to, you want to get a return on that, at the very least. And they also have Jacoby Brissett, who I know you're a big fan of as well. And he looked pretty good in the preseason. So if yeah, he, he had one of the higher completion percentages, actually. And he's Bill Parcells' uh, personal quarterback. Parcells is a major, major fan of Jacoby Brissett. And he is the one who convinced Belichick to take him. So I think that there's a chance that maybe he goes through the same devel- developmental process and he ends up being the next Jimmy. But we'll see about that. Any other final takes from week one? Uh, looking forward to week two. Maybe what's one thing that you thought was a little bit more of an illusion? Something that we won't see in the future. Uh, more of an illusion. Um, okay, so... I don't want to count Simeon, because I think... I don't think he was that good anyway to begin with, so I'm actually not going to go there. Um, Thomas Davis actually looked pretty rough against the Broncos, at least in terms of run defense. And I don't think that's going to be the case for very long. Like, I think Kubiak came out and ran, you know, with a lot of these fullback stuff, just running with the fullback right at Thomas Davis. And I just, it didn't seem like he was prepared for that style of play uh, week one. So I think that was just kind of like an outlier performance for him. Because I think uh, Janovich or whatever, the Denver fullback, if I counted correctly, he hit, he went up into the hole against Davis four times and beat Davis all four times. And, and I don't think it's any sort of like, oh, Davis is falling off. I just think it's he just wasn't ready uh, for that style of play week one. And Janovich is actually probably a really good fullback because he stayed low. He knew what angles to take and stuff. So I just think Davis was a little bit caught off guard, and I don't think we need to worry going forward about how he's going to be this season. I think that's fair. My slight thing that I, I don't think is quite as indicative, and we'll see it um, over the year begin to fade away a bit, 
I don't think that the Packers game was as close as the score indicated with the Packers and the Jaguars. I think the Packers are significantly, they're back. Um, Jordy Nelson is so good. And Aaron Rodgers just made some absolutely incredible throws. Honestly, in terms of top-tier quarterbacking, this might be the best year of top-tier quarterbacking that I have seen in a long time. And you can just think about it from a fantasy perspective. I mean, look at all the huge fantasy games that we have this week, and Cam and Russ weren't even playing well. I mean, we had Jameis go off. We had um, Dalton played pretty well. Although I wouldn't call him elite, but Luck, Carr, Breeze, uh, Rivers had a huge game. He put the team on his back, and I feel so bad for Chargers fans. Like, Keenan Allen stuff, that's the worst. Um, Even Alex Smith. Alex Smith had a really, really good game. He he really, really showed up. And then Rodgers had a huge game. Um, Eli made some plays. Stafford had a phenomenal game. Eli was really good. Yeah, I'll co-sign that one. Eli was actually really good. Dak was fine for what he was asked to do. Oh, D- Dak is Dak is pretty good. Like, I, yeah. If I was the Cowboys, I would strongly consider talking to Tony Romo and saying and giving him an ultimatum because he he's so beaten up now that I I don't think it's advisable for him to play that much more football. And I think that Dak, if you groom him, he could be a really good player. I would maybe give him one more year of seasoning, maybe year three he takes over. So Tony can hopefully get one more year. But yeah, I think Dak, he has a lot of potential and it's weird because we didn't really see that much of that potential at Mississippi state. He really didn't have a great senior year. No, that was the thing. Like Dak, I mean, at Mississippi State, you basically saw two or three things from Dak. You saw that he was, he ended up, he grew in terms of confidence over his years at Mississippi State. And he, you could tell that he just had this, you know, he would trust his receiver, his top receiver if he really wanted to. And he didn't have problems uh, forcing some throws to a guy that he believed could make a play. And that's good for, you know, guys like Witten and Bryant. Um, he showed mobility, obviously, and that's huge. And then he improved his understanding of Mississippi State's offense a lot from junior year to senior year. And I know that offense is far from one of the more complicated ones. It's actually it's definitely one of the easier ones. But to see him make that jump, at least within his system, was nice. Because um, someone was saying this maybe a week ago, but it's like you got to learn you got to show you can learn algebra before you can do calculus in his last year at Mississippi State Dak showed he was pretty good at algebra so i think that was um, you know encouraging but he just yeah he didn't prove that he could do he just didn't look like he was doing enough quarterback type things at Mississippi State for me to believe in him too much and then he came out preseason and week 1 and was just really good i think i was more impressed by Dak's week 1 than i was Carson's to be perfectly honest that I don't know if I agree with that, but that's n- not a terrible take. That's an okay think, take. Well, I think in terms of like considering who they were playing, because I think Wentz definitely made a couple better throws like over the middle of the field, and I think Wentz he had that one really really nice touchdown to I believe Jordan Matthews to yep. like, the left side of the end zone. Uh, that was a really good pass, and I think Wentz's 
placement was a little bit better. It's just that he had so much more time and room and, a, and everything around him was just giving him the opportunity to do so where Dak was, he was kind of having to go willy nilly and, um, and make more rush throws a lot more of the time than I think that Wentz was. So we're going to move from the NFL to college and this is a very long football segment, but there's a lot of football to talk about. So I'm happy to, to devote a lot of time to it. We're going to talk about some college quarterbacks because some of our favorite prospects are off to a pretty uneven start. So what are your thoughts right now about college quarterback prospects? Deshaun Kaiser is incredible. Like he, I don't know. He, Watson heading into the year, shout out to Colin who you had on the week or on the podcast, I think two episodes ago. He was the first person I really remember being on Deshaun Kaiser. I think it was even like April he was saying that Kaiser was better than Watson and that Kaiser should be like a top five pick and all that sort of thing. And he eventually got me to look at Watson and I watched Watson's last year, or not Watson, uh, Kaiser. And I watched Kaiser's 2015 after he filled in for Zaire and I was just blown away. He was poised. He, his movement in the pocket is already incredible. Like, he just makes really subtle movements around defenders that don't phase him or move his eye level at all. Um, he showed great ability to get better within the constructs of the offense as the year went on. Like, his first couple of games were rough. And then after that, he really showed that he could just make some of the more simple throws and reads. Um, so that was really encur- encouraging to just see him within that one season, already improved there. Uh, his arm talent is just incredible. I would probably, I would argue at least that it's the most talented arm in football. Lamar Jackson also has an incredible arm, uh, but I trust Kaiser to put a little bit more touch than I think I do Jackson, um, especially with a little bit more complicated route combos. Um, and Kaiser can move. Uh, he's really smart on third downs. Like, he... He has no fear making those tight window throws on third downs right past the sticks and stuff. Uh, Kaiser is just really, really good, and I there's a good chance he ends up being picked over Watson. Uh, and Watson has started off pretty rough this year. Like, he didn't come out uh, week one, I believe, against Auburn all that well. Um, he threw some picks that he really – like, a pick that he really shouldn't have – his placement just looked off. He just didn't look comfortable. And, and I don't know what it is because there's still so much talent on that Clemson offense. He might just be starting off slow. Um, I think Kaiser is going to end up passing Watson in the minds of most, but I think Watson is still a good player. He's just having a weird start to the year. I agree. I think that Kaiser goes before Watson at this point. I'm going to defend Watson a little bit. I think Auburn's defense is better than people thought it was going to be. Um... So I think overall he'll be fine. I know that the second game was a mess, but I I do agree with you that I think when scouts are going to look at both Kaiser and Watson, I mean, Kaiser looks like an NFL quarterback. Uh, he really does have all of the things that you're looking for. So I fully expect Kaiser to go before Watson. I don't think that's a hot take whatsoever. I, I still think Watson's going to be fine. we got to talk about Lamar Jackson for a second. He, that Syracuse game might have been the most excited I got watching a quarterback since Michael Vick. Yes. Like, he, I was even kind of telling my friends that because I had a couple guys over uh, to watch the game. I was like, we, they're just, I haven't seen 
anybody like Lamar Jackson really ever in my life because I mean Vic was what oh two oh three oh one like five years oh yeah, <laughs> yeah even earlier I was four when he got drafted so like I don't really remember Mike Vic I remember him a little bit in the NFL but I mean even then that's like my early early days of remembering the NFL Lamar Jackson is I mean he's I would think he has the time in the four fours. He's incredibly fast. He's agile. Uh, and his arm and release combination is just deadly. Like he gets the ball out really quick and it's, he can probably throw 70, like close to 70 yards. Like he just has an unreal arm. I think the closest I've, the best comparison I've heard or that I sort of came up with, he's the closest thing we've seen to Robert Griffin III since he left Baylor. And, but at the same time, I think that Jackson might actually be a better pocket passer in college than Griffin ever was. Um, there are some plays where he would just move in the pocket, rear back, and chuck it. James Quick made a huge play to start off that game. And, yeah, the, when I was watching that Syracuse game, it was crazy. He just wouldn't stop scoring. He just kept going to the end zone over and over and over again. It he was, jogged in like two or three times. Just jogged. He hurdled the guy once. He was just... You said it earlier, but that game was one of the most exciting single per, like single player performances that I can remember. I definitely agree with that. Now, after those three, and, and Jackson can't come out this year, I believe. I think he's a true sophomore. Yeah. Which is unfortunate. But he'll be number one pick probably... Uh, in 2018. I, I, say, I That might be even more impressive that he was doing this as a true sophomore. Yeah. Did you see the vine of him in high school where he just stopped and let the defender go past him for walking in the end zone? Yeah. Someone put that in one of our group chats. Like, I remember when that was a big thing. I just, I would have never remembered that that was Lamar Jackson. Because, like, at the time, I there's no way I would have remembered that name, you know, having seen it two, three yeah. years ago or whatever. And then someone posted it again. I was like, oh, Oh my god, that was Lamar Jackson. Like it was just a really cool like putting the pieces together. Now after those three though, it has not been a great year for a lot of the quarterback prospects that I personally liked. I'm still pretty high on them, even though um I think that they could have done better. And the guy who jumps out to me is Mason Rudolph at Oklahoma State, who I know you're a fan of as well. I, I I'm gonna be honest, first of all, he should not have made that mistake at the end of the Central Michigan game. But even before then, there are some moments in that game where he just he threw a really bad interception in the end zone at one point. He just doesn't look 100%, and I'm hoping he can get it back together because I'm still a huge fan of his. But, yeah, so do you have any Rudolph takes right now, or what do you think? Yeah, the, the one thing I noticed with him is his feet looked wider and just more uncomfortable this year than I had ever remembered. And his arm, like, strength isn't fantastic, so he really needs his footwork and, and mechanics to all be pretty good for him to maximize his arm strength. And there were just moments where he looked lazy or, like, maybe he was favoring something to be more comfortable. I don't know what it was, but he just, his feet looked worse than they I ever remember last year. And that was a big problem. Uh, he came out his first couple of series, he just looked bad. Uh, just wasn't making throws, some easy reads that he missed. He did a pretty good job throughout the second and third quarter and for the early fourth quarter, but then, like you said, he threw that really ugly interception way under through that fade ball. 
at the end of or near the end of the fourth quarter. So that was rough. Uh, and even his first game against, I believe they played Southeastern Louisiana. Uh, that game, he just didn't look like himself either. So it, it's been a rough start for him and Watson, who I thought were two guys that were, there were two of my three first round guys, uh, or guys who I thought would, and I would end up having a first round grade on um, by the time the draft season comes around. Yeah, I hope they turn it around. I think Watson will. Um, Rudolph, I need a little bit more evidence because, you know, last year we, we talked about how he got spelled a lot by J.W. Walsh, and he's not getting spelled this year, so maybe there's something more to that, but we'll have to keep an eye on that. Now, I know one quarterback, and we can talk about quarterbacks all night, but I know one who you don't like is Brad Kaya from Miami. He uh, sucks. He, and he's not had a good start to the season. Like, he is bad. He is really just not good. People are falling into the same trap that they fell into with Jared Goff, and I think Kai is worse than Goff. Um, oh, that, that's that's a hot take, because Goff was pretty bad. Well, yeah, but <laughs> I, I, Kai is just, I, I don't really trust, he's made some bad reads uh, early this year, and I kind of will give him a little bit of leeway there, because Mark Rick did, this is his first year, uh, being the head coach, so it's a new system. So I give him a little bit of leeway. At the same time, Rick runs a fairly easy sim- uh, system. That's just a lot of triangle reads. Like you, it, it's pretty hard to mess up. I mean, he made Aaron Murray and like Hudson Mason look pretty functional. So um, Kaya should look better than he does. Kaya's or Kaya's shoulders are just miserable. Uh, Justice was talking about this. Kaya never really has his shoulders pointed to where his target. Uh, spot is so he never generates the velocity that he should and then he's kind of dragging his throwing arm through the motion and he just ends up misfiring a lot maybe the ball will be catchable but it's rarely in a you know a good spot for yak or or just a simple easy catch um so that's going to be a big problem for him his movement and awareness in the pocket is just pretty miserable uh his arm strength is bad unless he sets his feet but even then like i said his shoulders aren't good so that takes away from his arm strength I just, I really don't see anything at all with Kaya. Like, I just, there's nothing there for me. So before we move on, do you have any other hot quarterback takes? Um, CJ Beathard has actually had a really good start to the year. Uh, he, heading into, or, yeah, heading into this year, I said that he did some things really nice last year, and he proved that he could function within the system, and he flashed some mobility, and... Uh, the ability to stay poised, but he was missing more throws than he should have, and there were times where he just didn't look comfortable when he needed arm strength. Um, And I guess, you know, he was hurt. He was dealing with a groin injury last year, so I just wasn't sure if it was the groin that was bothering him or if he just wasn't good at those things. So I was kind of, you know, didn't know what to do with him. He's came out this year and just looked really good. I don't really have much concern about his deep ball through the first two weeks. Uh, he's thrown the ball to the boundary better than I was thinking he was going to. Um, and he's still been good at, you know, running the system and going through reads and stuff. So CJ, CJ Beathard could take a little bit of a, a climb up the ladder um, as the year goes on and as he gets into into some conference play and stuff. Yeah, I'm going to go on the negative, actually, because I have a quarterback who's really, he's very, very good for college, um, but Greg Ward will not be an NFL quarterback. Please don't, don't say it. He's a phenomenal college quarterback, have fun watching him, but he's Kellen Moore. 
He's yeah, he's he's Kellen Moore. He's super smart. Like he really knows how to go through his reads and make those short throws. And like if he's on the boundary side, he can, or if he's on like a, a closed end of the field, he can make those throws fine. But if you're asking him to make any sort of throw that requires arm strength, he's not going to make it. Also, Chad Kelly his feet aren't good. And Chad Kelly Chad isn't good. Chad Kelly is also – I don't like Chad Kelly yeah. really at all. He is not good. I compared him to like – there are so many parallels between Chad Kelly and Zach Mettenberger. It's almost uncanny. We'll see what happens with them. So we, we just talked about football for 55 minutes, which I am always fine with doing. So we're going to be doing a bit of an abbreviated society and stuff portion this week. And honestly, our society portion is going to be super quick because you just had a story you wanted to tell. And we've talked about Kaepernick and the kneeling and the National Anthem protest for a while now. Um, I think we've talked about it for each of the past three weeks. So I don't want to dwell on it too much, but I thought your story was interesting. So if you want to tell it, now's the time. Yeah, I just have a quick story. So, um, I mean, I don't know how many people follow me on Twitter or whatever, but I'm white. um, And I've been in support of Kaepernick and all these other things, but... When it first happened, I was actually in San Diego, but then I came back, I believe, uh, the Monday or Tuesday after, you know, it had gotten big. And when I got home, my parents were asking me about it, and they were just kind of, oh, he's disrespectful. I can't believe he would do that. If he's going to be like this, he should get out of the country. You know, he was saying all those sorts of things. And... The big problem was it was all the headlines and, you know, just quick stories that they were reading didn't say anything about how charitable Kaepernick has been uh, for a long time and is continuing to be. Uh, It didn't acknowledge the fact that Kaepernick had already been sitting and that uh, it just was all of a sudden blowing up because people were all of a sudden, you know, someone snapped a picture. Uh, It had, you know, nothing to do with... um, just how, you know, Kaepernick wasn't trying to disrespect the military or anything or say that he hates the country, that he was just, you know, he was exercising his right. And after I got them to do, you know, they did a little bit of research on their own because I was like, you need to just look into this. Like, there's so much more to it. And I think, you know, two or three days later, they both, you know, read some things and, and got deeper. And they were like, I'm, you know, in full support of Kaepernick. He knows what he's doing. He's always, you know, been vocal about these sort of things, and uh, he's always been charitable. And I just thought it was really cool that they went out of their way to try to understand Kaepernick and see where he was coming from, and I just wish that there were more people that tried to do that. Yeah, I think that's a fair take. Uh, I think that all the takes have sort of been done to death at this point. I thought it was interesting that a lot of players did the uh, fists in the air this week, Mm -hmm. uh, which we'll see how that grows over time. That's something that I think is a a very interesting form of protest. I think a lot of people were very disappointed about what the Seahawks did. I read a really good article by Kara Brown on Jezebel about how the Seahawks talked a big game that didn't really do anything. Meanwhile, you had on the Dolphins sideline across from them, four players kneeling, including Arian Foster, uh, Kenny Stills too. The Patriots even had two guys put their fists up in the air, and it was Martellus Bennett and Devin McCourty. These are, by the way, all the players who are doing this are some of the most intelligent players in the NFL, and they're all players who Foster I've heard. Global. I know that. Well, they're all players who 
are pretty much when they retire, they're going to go to media. And it's well known that like there was a really, really good story about the transition process from NFL player or general professional athlete to a media person. This ran about a year ago. And I remember that on that story, they pretty much said that the two next groups of great media members who are sports players are the McCourty twins and the Bennett brothers that they're all going to go to media together and it's going to be great because they're all hysterical. Now granted Martellus has his animation stuff and I don't even know if he's going to want to do sports media. I don't think he is actually, but if he wants to do it, I mean that dude is incredible. I love Martellus Bennett, but anyway, that was a great story. We're going to move on to stuff now, super quick. And I mean, I just want to talk about music because you have good taste in music. Uh, what are you listening to right now? And what do you think about what's come out recently? Um, I would say, I mean, I've been like, I spin uh, blonde like two or three times a day, pretty much ever since it's come out. Like that <laughs> album is just absolutely incredible to me. And it might be early. It might be hot takey or whatever. Uh, Ivy, which is the second song on that album, that literally is probably already just the top three song ever for me. Like, there's just something wow. about that song, like some feeling that I get from it. It's that song is just special to me. Um, outside of that, Birds in the Trap sing McKnight. Uh, Travis Scott's new album just came out. That's also really good. I spin that probably at least once a day. Um, like the, I think PG was talking about this. Uh, the second the last two minutes of the second song way back is just ridiculously good like it, it gets kind of dark and you know there's this really good guitar riffs and stuff so um that was a really interesting album i thought it was at first i kind of thought like eh, it just kind of sounds like rodeo which it still does because that's just kind of scott's sound but as i listened to it a few more times i, I really really got into that album those are probably the two biggest ones for me and then Mac Miller's new album comes out in three days, and all three of the singles from it have been incredible. Like I, I'm a big, I'm a big Mac Miller fan. At least from like after he grew up. After Mac Miller grew up, I've been a really big fan of everything he's put out since then. My my one Mac Miller take is that I I saw him at Governor's Ball, and he is not a good live performer. I don't know. I he's well. Okay, when did you see him? The, at Governor's Ball, on, which was it was in June. I think. Oh, okay. Because I, I was going to say, I know there were definitely moments where Mac just got mind-numbingly uh, inebriated and just would forget lyrics and stuff. Um, so I, I know, yeah. you know people really didn't like him for that. Uh, I don't think Mac Miller's voice is that great, so I could see... Like, I like his voice. I just think, like, objectively it's not that good. So I could see how he's not a good live performer. Yeah, it's... I mean, I could talk about Blonde for ages... It's interesting that you like Ivy the most, though. I love Pink and White that comes right after it. Beyonce at the end of that song is just so good. And we talked about, me and you talked about it, I haven't talked about it on the podcast yet, but the song that I keep coming back to on that album is Siegfried. Uh, because that there's this really good dialogue that Ocean is having with Frank. Why am I calling him Ocean? That's so stupid. That Frank is having with himself. Um about how he could take 
about how like he sees people around him taking the easy way out. You know, they're just two kids in a swimming pool moving to the suburbs. But he doesn't want to do that. He wants to blaze his own trail, but he doesn't think that he's brave for doing it. He just wants to live his life. But he feels isolated because everyone else is going the other direction. And I related to that so much. I was like, oh, Frank, I'm with you right now, man. Um, yeah, I that album, I have a feeling that we're going to like look back on that album. And I think that it could outlive Channel Orange, which is hard to do. But as a work of someone growing up, uh, that album just hits the spot. And the order of songs on that album, unlike with Life of Pablo, which for what it's worth, I don't think I've spun Life of Pablo in about a month. Uh, which is kind of crazy because I really liked it when it came out. But yeah, I, Life of Pablo didn't age as well as it was really good when it first came out. I still spin it every now and then, but um, and it's still really good. It's just that it's kind of you just don't want to. It's like <clears throat> it's like certain foods you just don't want to have all the time. That's kind of how Life of Pablo is. Also, I wrote about this in Playmaker Mentality. Actually, Kanye isn't relatable anymore because he's married to Kim Kardashian and he doesn't have any problems that we would have. Like, the thing about, and I'm going to talk about, like, Chance and Frank, I guess, because I think that they're sort of two sides of the same coin. We all know that both of them have been through a lot of shit. Like, we know that Chance grew up in a tough neighborhood, and he's gone through a lot, and Frank has his, had his own crazy journey. And I like both of their albums for different reasons. And the reason why I like Chances is because you know he's been through that shit and he sometimes references it, but everything is so upbeat, he doesn't dwell on it. And he wants to look positively to the future. And then you have Frank, and he is sort of the introspective guy who is thinking about... He he is the conscience of hip-hop right now. He is the person who's looking at everything that's going on and he's saying... Is this really what we should be doing? Is this what I should be doing? Is it the right thing to do? And I think that that's why sort of they complement each other really well. And I have actually done the listen once of Blonde into um, Coloring Book. And let me tell you, that is a waterfall, a roller coaster of emotions. I'm actually going to have to try that. I, I really like that. Idea. You have to do Blonde first. Okay. Because the way that it works is that Blonde starts out really, um, like, it starts off pretty high, a lot of upbeat, and then once Nights hits, there is a turning point. Nights mm-hmm. is the turning point of that album, right after that middle crescendo part, crashing so, like, into nice the stream. bottom, and then, you know, I mean, the great thing about Blonde is... There's a moment where his mom calls. The interlude with Frank's mom is perfect when you think about it in the context of listening to both those albums together. Because Frank is coming into his own. He's coming out of his shell. He's learning about himself. And he's getting all these amazing opportunities. And the next song right after is Solo. It's all about him like trying to figure things out and <laughs> smoking a lot. Yeah, um, the, I think the first or second, like, the, because it does that interlude or whatever with his mom, and then it says, like, grab me a towel, I'm dirty dancing, gone off tabs of that yeah. acid, like, that's such a weird, to have that, those two things 
be right back to back. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, and he he's just trying to find his way. That's all he wants to do. He wants to find his way, and he he plateaus, he crashes, and then I think Futuro Free is pretty positive where he comes to. Maybe not even positive, but sort of his moment of reckoning where he comes to and he sort of comes to terms with himself and he says he's still going to be around, but he just needs, and this is why he took a step back. He just needed to figure things out, but now he's in a place where at least he's happier than before. And I, I said it on Twitter, but there's a line in Futura Free where he references Selena and that also got me because I really like Selena. And it's <laughs> sad that, and that story is also something extremely tragic uh because she was killed by a fan which is yeah it's uh, when she was 23 so it's one of those things that not a lot of people in Frank's position would reference but Frank did it because Frank Frank gets it and he just kills it and then you go from there into chance and chance is just all the positivity you just forget about all the happiness and you just you end up on a high and it's really great. I recommend doing it to anyone who's listening. Listen to Blonde by Frank Ocean and then Segway to Coloring by Chance. It's perfect. I think um, I got I got a couple. I just have one more thing on Blonde. I thought there was no way I was going like, I, there, I thought there was no way the album was going to live up to my expectations because of how long it took and then it exceeded them. Like, it was just it was incredible. Um, one other album I forgot to mention when you asked me what I was listening to, Vince Staples' Prima Donna. That album is awesome. It's like set, it's like six or seven songs, but they're really good. And Staples got um, Staples is someone that throws all of his emotion into his music and doesn't really hold anything back. And um, you know, he talked about I think in most of the songs he references depression and and suicide and all these things. And um, I just thought it was interesting that he was able to throw all those things out there. Um, and just kind of give us everything about him. Yeah, the two albums I also need to to give my full thoughts on, um, both bands that I've met before and I love, which is why I feel compelled to, to drop them. If anyone here is a more rock or alternative fan, Wild World by Bastille came out. And Bastille, I have a very close personal connection with Bastille, they were, like, you know how we have sleepers during the draft season? Bastille was my music sleeper. <laughs> in 2011, I was working at a radio station, and I heard this cover of What Would You Do by City High by this random British band, and Bastille, and it it, it captivated me so much. And they have amazing covers. Uh, I definitely recommend taking a listen. They have cover albums, and they're really good. But... My final day at that radio station at midnight, I got to play any song I wanted, and I ended up being the first person at that station to spin Pompeii by Bastille's 2013. And that song ended up being the number one song at the radio station for the next like six months. Um, it was it was kind of kind of crazy. And I actually I heard the album a little bit, and I think it's okay. Dan Smith's voice is amazing, but you can only listen to so many songs of him making the same exact sound with his mouth because he sounds the same in every single song. But it's good music, so it's fine. And then the other band that I have to listen to is Group Love. Came out with a new album called Big Mess. Group Love is the band that did Tongue Tied and Colors, if you don't know. And 
they they do like funky stuff and it's pretty cool. And I haven't heard any songs on the album, so that's next on my list. But I'll also be sure to to drop some Vince Staples into that rotation too, and also, um, yeah, and more Blonde because I God knows I can't get enough of Blonde. Can't get enough of Blonde, absolutely. Yeah, so I think that's about it, Derek. Thanks for being on the show. Of course, man. Thank you for having me on. Definitely, and you will be back at some point. We'll be doing a lot of episodes this year. Hammer Time Podcast, signing out for now. Ethan Hammerman, leave me tweets with thoughts. Peace out.